Hey there, Internet. I can't know for sure, but I'm going to go ahead and guess that you woke up this morning thinking, hey, if only there was a place I could hear a bunch of cool people talk about video games. Well, then we've got a show for you. From developer interviews to casual conversation, from exciting indie titles to fresh takes on your favorite games, this is the Gamers with Glasses Podcast. folks, this is the Gamers with Glasses show, and I'm Christian Haynes, one of the editors of the website GamersWithGlasses.com. Gamers with Glasses is your gathering place for fans, scholars, artists, and developers who like to play and think about games. Today I'm joined by Roger Whitson. Hello. Nate Schmidt. Hi there. And Dawn Everhart. Hello. And this week we have no special topic. We're just going to let it ride. Uh, we'll probably have a special topic next time around. Uh, we don't know what that is yet. But what we do know is we've got some great other podcasts in the feed that you should check out when you get a chance. We've got a spoiler cast of Remedy's Game Control. We've got an interview with Jesper Jewell. And I think we've got a number of other great things that you should check out, including the previous episode of the GWG show where we talked about platformers. So, with that said, why don't we get into talking about the games we're playing? Uh, Don, you want to start us off? Get the ball rolling? Yeah, I, I've been revisiting <clears throat> a PS2 turned PS3 classic uh, in light of the news of the imminent withdrawal of all sales on all digital platforms for the P- PlayStation 3 and Vita. Oh, uh, no. oh and, and I forgot about that. Oh, I'm breaking so news. Breaking news, Nate. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> well, I don't own this. I mean, I don't, but I'm sorry for those who do. That's terrible. It it really is. Uh, and and I had, uh, ever since they shut down easy access to their uh, web store for those platforms in October, I've been feverishly collecting and downloading games to the hard drive that at any moment could be revoked by uh, Sony, the evil corporate overlord, um, whose press credentials I have pending. Uh, So thank you for listening. Anyway, uh, as I was doing this, I have a range of really great games downloaded and I noticed uh, Beyond Good and Evil HD, um, the Ubisoft Michelle Ansel classic, which I apparently last played in 2015 Oh. Uh, and stopped playing, probably to play something else, didn't play it ever again, uh, and thought, you know what? Let's give that a spin. And I'm glad I did. Uh, it, it's certainly a game that has some great ideas in it. Um, I very much like that you play as a photographer and that missions are based less on destroying the evil industrial corporate uh, complex facilities and more taking photographs of their nefarious deeds and publishing them to rouse the planetary populace against them. That said, 
Uh, those ideas are not well supported by a PS2 era game with very muddy textures, frustrating cameras, uh, stealth sections, which by today's standards are nothing less than abominable. Um, and uh, my rapidly decaying PlayStation 3 controllers <clears throat> I badly need repair. Uh, but the ideas of the game are so good that I'm probably going to actually finish it this time, you know, six years after I started it and uh, somewhere around 20 years after the game actually released. Wow. That was Ubisoft, wasn't it? That was like back when Ubisoft was doing a bunch of random things and not just three or four franchises. Yeah, they, they let Ansel uh, make something other than Rayman, which is usually a mistake because usually when they do that, um, his games aren't finished and they never release. Uh, see also the sequel to Beyond Good and Evil, which has been vaporware for over a decade. Uh, but in this occasion, he actually released it and it's good. It, it's shockingly good for its time. Uh, it's just that, oh man, I mean, the gameplay just, could have aged a lot better. And he walked away, I think, recently from game production, right? Isn't he? He's like managing a wildlife preserve instead of making games now. Oh, man, isn't that the dream? Isn't that the dream for all of us, though? <laughs> Stop doing whatever you're doing and get a job with the National Park Service. I'm ready. I'm down for so that. Ready. Right so ready. So <laughs> ready. I'm having flashbacks to like videos from like four E3s ago where they showed and like a screen of combat from Beyond Good and Evil 2 and a video with a cursing monkey or something. And then it was never heard from again. And that was the most anyone had heard from it for like five years. Uh, yeah. It had be previously oh. been announced and just lost to who knows. I mean, uh, as uh, all kinds of different news sources might have let us know, the production process at Ubisoft, not to mention uh, a lot of its interior corporate culture is a mess. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is. I don't have Ubisoft press credentials pending, but just so you know, <laughs> Ubisoft... I, th I think you're <laughs> we're coming for you after we take you Sony man. down. <laughs> Once yeah. Sony's gone, we're coming for Ubisoft. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Maybe that's uh, so. One of the things I'm doing, and I can't talk about it too much. I think quite yet, but I'm reading Jason Schreier's new book, uh, Press Reset, uh, which comes out. I want to say May 11th, and we'll have a review the day of for that um oh fancy wow but uh I'm, we're gonna be yeah on time <laughs> reading the advanced coffee uh they let me have galleys for some reason uh Whoa. but i'm not supposed to talk about it too much but what i can say is it's a wonderful and at the same time wonderfully depressing book about people whose lives get constantly shaken up uh by companies stopping and starting and just I mean, I think the thing that's standing out to me so much uh, after I just finished a chapter on Irrational working on Bioshock Infinite uh, is just the sheer number of times that creative directors will press reset on a project, you know, and cause like artwork, you know, 3D rendering and all kinds of stuff to just be tossed out and then a bunch of work having to get done. And then that like phrase that gets used by a bunch of studios, magic. The magic happens in that last year when you realize you have to release it, 
right? The magic happens when you realize you don't have enough time, but you're going to have to do it anyways, which of course magic is just synonymous with crunch. Hmm. Roger, do you need a drink hmm. of water? Yeah, I do. Sorry yeah, about that. Yeah, I'm really excited to go through and look at the tracks later and be like, oh, there's a Roger Cough, there's a Roger Cough, but I got it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to clean them up. Um, it, no, we, I just have to give you a hard time. But um, I, I don't know. I, 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 I wonder... I mean, obviously, yes, it's synonymous with crunch, but it's also anymore. It's almost too like we're going to release the game and then patch it later. Like that's another thing that happens too, right? Is the magic right. doesn't happen. <laughs> the magic or everybody still had to crunch, right? But the magic still didn't happen. And we're just going to, we're going to patch it or more and more with games being largely played especially by people like us in beta access right we're playing them while the magic the magic right in quotes is happening and then we see what happens later so there's a lot of kind of weird places where the magic may or may not you know have the opportunity to take place didn't that happen recently with cyberpunk 2077 right like apparently there was a huge patch that was that was offered seven gigabytes of patch, uh, which still isn't on Sony's store because they still refuse to sell such a busted game. Yeah, the game is not on the store. Although I have to say, I think PlayStation sells plenty of busted games. In fact, games that at this point <laughs> are more busted uh, than Cyberpunk is at this point. Um, as somebody who had to go into the game recently to take screenshots and so got a chance to see what the updates were like. I just gave a talk in it and like did the deepest thing I could into, you know, everything from financial reports uh, to just any journalism that had touched on anything to do with the labor at CD Projekt Red. And that's definitely a case of, I mean, this is a game they announced in 2012, but didn't start working on until 2016. And the thing is, the magic did happen. If by magic, you mean it was a game that hung together, right? It didn't work well. But you could literally get from point A to point B most of the quests you could finish. Uh, you could beat the game. There are plenty of games, right, that require like three months worth of crunch. And by require, I mean they should have had another year, but they did it in three months uh, to, you know, basically hang together to actually work at all, right? Um, and I think... You know, I think one of the critical sort of stories that people like to tell in games journalism is like, oh, this was a mistake on the producer's part. They didn't schedule things well. Uh, the much better argument, which uh, Jamie Woodcock offers in Marks at the Arcade, is that no, this isn't a mistake on the part of studio executives. This is how development is scheduled. It is scheduled for crunch. It is scheduled in order to crunch. Right. This isn't some kind of accident or mistake. This is how AAA game development works now. Um, it's not a good thing, but pretending like it's like somebody's mistake, like oh, I just didn't budget enough time, is a little ridiculous. Is there like a like a reason for that? Like even from within, like let's let's adopt like the bad capitalists' bad thinking hat. And I, I'm, I just, I can't think of a, what the, even the market driven logic would be 
for paper. why that would be the case. And you've obviously been been reading and researching about it. Well, 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 sorry, what'd you say? It's I, unpaid talk. labor. Programmers oh, are salaried. Well. <laughs> Developers are salaried. Right, right, right. right they're right. yearly salaried employees. Right. It's unpaid labor. And the way projects go, right, usually you let go two-thirds of your workforce afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is one of the things that Schreier covers really well. Uh, most of the interviewer, you know, interviewees he talks to, uh, you know, will move to five different places in seven years or something, right? They'll just kind of uproot themselves from the Carolinas to California to Boston and just bounce around from studio to studio um, between projects. Hmm. I was going to say, in the case of Ken Levine and Irrational, that wasn't seventy percent. Of the it was everybody. Like, oh, it was 100. Yeah. Well, it was all but 13. Oh, the lucky 13. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and I shouldn't go into too many details, but basically he, he opened his own studio that still has not made a game between the release of Bioshock Infinite and now. But it's still technically owned by 2K. So there you go. Uh, Roger, what have you been up to? What have you been playing well, these days? Uh, I, uh, jumped on the loop hero train. It's great. I love it. So was that sarcastic? (laughs) No, I think it looks cool. It wasn't, it was, it was like, it was not quite sarcastic. It was sarcastic, but fun. I actually am having fun with it. So, um, loop hero is, uh, this game that, um, Looks, you, you open it up and uh, the graphics are like old school pixel graphics. Um, apparently you can run this uh, with very little computing power. Um, and the whole thing behind it is that all of the, all of the fighting is done automatically. Um, you're a hero, you're going around this loop, right? Around and around and around. And your and uh, enemies are generated, and you fight an enemy. You start out every every run with fighting these like you know low level slimes, and uh, if you defeat an enemy, you might get you know an, a better weapon or better armor, or uh, you might also get a whole bunch of cards. It's a it's also a uh, it's it's a procedural game. It's also a um, uh, a deck building game and um on these cards are uh various different uh land masses so there might be uh, a mountain or a meadow or you you might have new enemies to place on the map right um like a graveyard that creates skeleton warriors or whatever um and it's just very fascinating because the whole point of the game, apparently, you're in this you're in this world where everyone's sort of forgotten um, everything about the world, and you're trying to rebuild the world every time you go into uh, one of these loops. Um, and so it's just it's just a really interesting game with uh, you know a very unique take on combat and a very unique uh, interface, um, and I'm enjoying it quite a bit. That is a game that sounds like it's utterly distinct on the one hand, but on the other hand, seems like it has somehow crystallized every single major trending in gaming, especially in indie games, into like one game loop. Deck builder, auto battler, um, time loops, 
right? Pixel I actually art. don't know if a major studio is allowed to release a game if it doesn't have a time loop anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's totally true. It absolutely is true. The automated, uh, I don't know, like what games recently have you seen with automated? So I'm thinking combat. of all the auto battling games based on like Dota and the like. So uh, oh, what was yeah. the what's the one? It was auto chess, right? Or what is it? Yeah, called? auto chess is uh, Progenitor, and then there was like Team Fight Tactics, and right. it's all the the MOBA crowd spinoff stuff. So you're right that it was kind of with Dota, and then you kind of think, well, what if Dota, but I didn't have to click as much? Yeah. With Dota, but not Carpal Tunnel. (laughs) There's literally no clicking here. Like, it's actually all automated. You don't choose... I don't know if... I mean, I've never played Dota, so I'm not sure how it works there. If you choose, like, particular... uh, Like, you have to choose a spell or, like, a attack. Do you have to do that? It's, like, a hero-based kind of game where you might have attack, base, and then you have... uh, different sets of abilities that you upgrade as you continue playing and and struggling in your map-based battle. It was originally based on a Warcraft 3 map, if it helps you visualize okay. what kind of game it would be. It really is just Warcraft 3. It's no different whatsoever. Don't at me. <laughs> so Loop Hero is completely automated. Like, all you... The only thing you do is, like, place weapons, place areas like mountains or whatever and stop and start and everything else is automated so you don't choose what the attacks are you don't um you don't choose where you go um you can make it go slower or faster but so like it i don't know i don't know if that's different than dota but like it seemed like a pretty unique experience for me in terms of how i understood um you know gameplay and things like that so I read an I read an article comparing it to parenting. And it's like you're trying <laughs> I to I saw shepherd. that one, I didn't read it. Yeah, yeah. I mean kids aren't automated, right? But I mean no metaphor is perfect. Uh but this idea that you're like trying to shepherd this little dude through uh a place that is dangerous for them and trying to like make it workable. Um yeah, it looked it looked cool. I might I might give it a go sometime here in the next week or two. Well, somebody should write it up for the site at some point. Some uh, kind of quirky yeah. take on it. Oh, uh, um, see, I think we, Roger, we talked about a game that we haven't written about yet, and now we I'm gonna auto generate. I'm gonna auto generate text for it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. You're actually just gonna write code that somehow generates text from your uh, routines through the game. There you go. You know, as I, you run I mean, through yeah, the game. Make, make it like Dwarf Fortress. Yeah. But for Loop Hero, and you'll have a novel in no time. <laughs> I think Unwinnable did a uh, article that was basically a narrative of a playthrough of Pendragon. Uh, the article is pretty good. I actually don't like Pendragon very much, to be honest. I think I talked about it on the show a couple of episodes or so ago. Um, yeah, the other thing I'm doing is looking into... I just started Last of Us Part Two, which I didn't play when it came out, and I'm excited about it. I have... I actually, like... It's weird. It's like it's like a game, and I don't know if there are games like this that you all uh, have played, but, like, when it came out, I kind of resisted buying it because I was playing other things. Um, and I think I just haven't played it. I have, I've decided for a long time not to play it, and then suddenly I was like, okay, I'm going to play it, and now... I guess I feel like I'm 
enjoying it more because I don't have to like react to how others are experiencing it. It's kind of a different kind of experience. You don't have to be part of the discourse, capital D. That's, yeah, definitely. So That's it. I resisted the game a bit and ended up playing it in part because Chris Brew was playing it and we talked about it. And But I didn't love the first game, to be quite honest. And I ended up liking the second game a lot better. I think I liked the second game for a lot of reasons that certain people hated it. And not just the people that hated it because they were horrible trolls uh, and don't like women outside of specific sort of gender norms. But I also feel like I liked it for the reasons that people criticize it fairly for. Uh, which I won't get into because I don't want to spoil too much for you. Uh, but what I will say, uh, it goes on for a few hours too long. Oh, I see. I am a total sucker. I love the first Last of Us, and I am a total sucker for, like, what do zombies teach us about being human? Like that kind of that kind of genre. Like, I, and, and it doesn't matter how cheesy it is. Like, I just I just get into it completely. I'm like, yes, this is this is real life here. So I haven't um, I haven't gotten totally into it, but I need to play it. Definitely. I played three hours of that game and I couldn't get into it. But I, but everybody keeps saying when I hear people talk about it, that it gets good around hour 12 or hour 15. Oh, I, no, that's a that's a bit for me. No, those people. I'm sorry to I keep bringing this up, but those people don't have kids. Like you don't have time. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I cannot play a game that doesn't get good until hour twelve. <laughs> That's not gonna happen. I, I, I don't have kids, but I feel like the way the way that I feel about that is I'm like, oh yeah, I play games like that that don't get good for a while, and then I look at games uh, that I dropped in 2015, and I look at how long I played them. And it's like, oh, I, I dropped that after like four hours. It just felt like 12 and yeah. it hadn't <laughs> gotten good yet. So yeah, apparently I don't have 12 hours to give regardless because by the time I'm done, I'm just, I'm gonna either drop it for six years or indefinitely. And indefinitely as everyone with a backlog might know means forever. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh no you said it <laughs> you spoke it out loud and now it's true you're not playing those games in your backlog you're gonna buy last of us 2 like roger because now you have time and then who knows what it bumped you could have been playing beyond good and evil hd but you're gonna oh, leave yeah. it for another six years because you bought last of us 2 <laughs> I do, actually. I'm almost positive I have Beyond Good and Evil HD actually downloaded to my PS3, which is sitting in my closet. Uh, not even connected. Yeah, not even connected, no. <laughs> um, every once in a while, I pull it back out and, and plug it back in to play old Persona games or something. Um, although that's going to be more difficult uh, or impossible uh, because I have those downloaded. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, stores going away. You know, one of the things that we were chatting about before the show is we were talking about, you know, what I would say is that these online services both giveth and taketh away. Uh, right now, we're, we're hearing a lot about taking away, but I will say Xbox Game Pass is amazing. It yeah, is. Yeah, it doesn't really compare. Like, like the PlayStation, what is it, PS Now or whatever? Um it's okay, but it's not great. Not great like I hear. Like, I always think of Xbox and uh, Game Pass, and I wish that I went the Xbox route, not the PlayStation I mean, I, 
I think that the if you want to get an Xbox, uh, what is it, a Series S, once they become more available and maybe get knocked down to 250, I think that would be a great machine, especially for indie games. And part of the reason I say that is part of the reason I love Game Pass so much is because of the amount of indie games that come on it and actually stay for quite a while. I've been playing Genesis Noir. I think I have one act of it left, which is a point-and-click adventure game, but the actual mechanics are a little bit more complicated than your usual late 80s through the 90s point-and-click right? Like it's less point and click and more swiping and kinds of gestures that you're used to maybe doing on phones, but with a cursor using your analog uh, sticks. And it mostly works pretty well. They do a good job of highlighting what you need to do. You never feel like you're pixel hunting. Uh, But it's like a surrealist jazz tour through the Big Bang and beyond, but also a noir murder mystery. I think the premise, if I'm understanding it correctly, is what if, in order to stop this murder from occurring, you also had to stop the Big Bang? That seems to be the premise. You have again sold game. me on this game. Like, I can't <laughs> imagine a murder that would be like... That's interesting. It is, it is a surrealist game. <laughs> it's all trolley problem. You're gonna go all trolley problem. Yeah, like what is like what's a murder that's worth stopping the Big Bang for? Like what the heck? So or there is, is absolutely no ethical consideration in this game. There is there is no that's like not the game. What the game has the no thing? interest in like weighing this as a moral problem, from what I can tell. Oh, it's an it's it is surrealist art that is completely suspended ethical concerns in favor of turning cosmology into jazz in a literal sense so it isn't i mean i you might have thought charlie problem i was thinking determinism instead this isn't like a a maxwell's demon kind of thing where everything is ticking towards this murder it it has that dimension but it feels very art driven to me like what i would describe the art as is very much line art like almost like uncolored comic art uh, with a very kind of like two-dimensional animation that occasionally swivels around the turn 3D. It reminds me of Fez in that way a little bit. Uh, but it's a very consistent art style. I'm trying to think of a analog. Think of it as like, I don't know, Paul Klee meets Frank Miller meets Ornette Coleman. <laughs> <I don't... laughs> That's what I've got for you. That sentence has never been uttered before. <laughs> I could be into it. That sounds cool. It, 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 I mean, it's it's it has some annoyances in that, like, you know, you can't save anywhere. It's not a great parent game in that regards. The only re- times I've been able to play it are at like five in the morning because I, you have to play about an hour and a half minimum at a time uh, in order to get to like the start of a new act and therefore a save. Uh, but I think it's a short game overall. It's maybe six hours. 
thinking like four one and a half hour acts or something along those lines. So yeah, and that's on Game Pass, right? So I didn't really make a choice to get it. It showed up, and I was like, "That's a weird name. That's a cool art style. I will download this." What's that? You're less than a gig. Nice. That the- is something that I have uh, treasured about my spree of PlayStation 3 downloads to ensure that I have everything. And to be fair to Sony, they have said that you'll be able to keep downloading things you've already purchased, but who can, who can trust that? At this yeah, point? totally. I mean, come on. So, so I'm filling up this hard drive on the PlayStation 3. Um, and I don't know, I have a dozen PlayStation 1 games another dozen PlayStation 2 games, 50 PlayStation 3 games, and they're all stacked on this hard drive. I'm not even out of space yet. I've got, I've got half my Vita library sitting there in little bubbles in case I want to plug the Vita into the PS3 <laughs> and download a game from there onto the Vita. <laughs> and then I look over at my PS5, which is great. Uh, really enjoying the games I'm playing on there. I have probably eight games from the ps4 era largely downloaded on there and it's almost out of space oh my gosh and i'm you know every game i downloaded the ps3 it's like oh okay that's that's an entire entire game it is 150 megabytes okay it's three gigabytes maximum the largest thing i even considered downloading was metal gear solid 4 tons of cinematics just i mean absurdly long uh cinematics in that game Grand total, it's 27 gigabytes. Oh, wow. It's tiny by today's standards. Huh. And like, you know, I don't know how they can press it. I don't know how much Death Stranding is. Death Stranding is like six times that size or something. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, they keep promising like greater compression. And then every time they promise greater compression, Epic comes up with some kind of conference in which they talk about the new version of Unreal and how it can render the physics of a single hair follicle being blown by wind that's only going a kilometer per hour inside of a spaceship on Mars. Um, and, you know, who knows why there's wind there, but they'll they'll render it. And then all of a sudden your hard drive's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Nate, how is Joe Biden's switch that okay. you're following? Okay. <laughs> so this is my this is what happened. This is my life now. So I have not owned a current generation console since the Nintendo GameCube. I love how guilty oh, you wow. feel about this. I hate this. This is such a big like I'm not punk anymore. Like nope. I, gr- <laughs> I'm not, like a couple of years ago, I graduated from Converse to Doc Martens for the durability, but now I'm just fully wearing my New Balance. Like I'm just fully New Balancing everywhere, um, because I I did. Joe Biden sent us money, and we bought a Nintendo Switch with it, um, and. Everyone had that same idea, by the way. We drove an hour to Indianapolis uh, to get the, like, as far as I could tell, the last Nintendo Switch at any Best Buy in Indiana. Really? Yeah. They, 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 really, they really ate him up around here. The Switch um, has been hard to get. Well, it's, I don't know, maybe it's in Indiana. I don't know. It's what happened. Um, <laughs> Stop <laughs> lying to us. And... and uh, 
so that's kind of that's kind of where I've been at. I I think the thing that well I will tell you what actually pointed me towards the switch um, was my son really really wanted to make video games. And that was his big thing. He was like, Dad, we're going to make a video game today. And I was like, oh, boy. Okay. Wow. Um, and so, and he's six, right? And so I, I downloaded GDevelop onto his uh, school computer. And I said, okay, buddy. Honestly, I don't really know how this works. But neither of us does. So we'll play with it and we'll figure it out. And we, he has made, you want to talk about surrealism. <laughs> I mean, some of the stuff that <laughs> produced in, in G he kind of, he figured out that you can apply the sort of parameters of a platform character to anything on the screen. So he's made this series of games where like, if you push a single key, everything just moves. Right? <laughs> like, everything moves at once. And it's really fun. And it's really great. But we came to a point where there was stuff like, um, that just uh, a six year old can't do right. Isn't going to be able to, like, even to just make an enemy that moves back and forth on its own. Right. You've got to know what an X axis and a Y axis is in order to be, at least to do that G develop. Right. And so it was through G develop that, um, and, and kind of reading about how a kid might make a game that we sort of, he and I both realized that Super Mario Maker is a thing. And then we were like, okay, this is probably what you actually want. Like at least right now, right? Like for, for a six-year-old, probably the closest way that a six-year-old is going to make a video game that is satisfying to him is in Super Mario Maker. And originally... That was the only game that we wanted because that was what it came out of was this desire to make this creative activity possible. And I was just going to buy a Wii U and throw Super Mario Maker on it, even though it's not, you know, retro convertible because I don't care. Um, but then used even refurbished Wii U consoles were only 50 bucks cheaper, what, a way I could find them anyway, being a noob. Um, we're only 50 bucks cheaper than a new Switch anyway. And so I was like, well, what the hell, right? Joe Biden just sent us money. So <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so we bought a Switch so that we could have Super Mario Maker. And now I am just drowning in the fact that games cost 60 bucks now. Like I could yep. absolutely, <laughs> like there's no. <laughs> and especially on the Switch, Nintendo prices yeah. take a very so long time. And, and they're, but the thing is they're, they're sinking their talons into me, right? Like, for the 35th Mario anniversary, right, they have um, Super Mario 3D All-Stars available for, like, one more day. Yeah, it's almost gone. This is it. And They're going to publicly execute Mario in the town square I tomorrow. I don't really have 60 bucks. I mean, we spent our Biden money on the Switch, right? So, And then everything else goes into just, you know, being being poor and trying to be less poor. And and But I also, like, I love... Super Mario 64 so much, right? I love that game and the idea that I could play it <laughs> on the Switch whenever I want. Like, it's so tempting. It's so bad. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I I will say, I assume that Nintendo is going to unbundle that next calendar year. Yeah, that's well within the realm of, yeah. And, and I, that's I the... think that's likely. I, I, I have to say, I mean... I like a lot of things Nintendo does, but this like weird forced 
deadline to get a spike in sales for some financial quarterly, you know, marker is just gross. Yeah, it is is despicable. Uh, And I I say that as someone who already has Nintendo press credentials. (laughs) (laughs) But you don't want to know how I got my Ubisoft press credentials. (laughs) 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 It does kind of make me shiver a little bit, though, right? Because this is exactly what I was thinking before it was why I didn't even want to buy one, right? Because, yeah, right now. Nintendo, even to play Super Mario Maker, right, to play any world anyone else has ever created, just about the only way to really do it is to buy the subscription, right? And the subscription is 20 bucks for the first 12 months. And I tell you what, I've heard that from my internet service provider too, right? <laughs> and yeah, so yeah. that's the thing is it's like, I just, I I wonder how long even just as consumers which i realize is not a very good marxist way to think about these kinds of things but i'm not a very good marxist like how long even as consumers are we going to be willing to accept the fact that we the even the little autonomy we had we're losing right we're giving away so that now if i love i'm so excited about the fact that i can play all these super nes games right just on the Switch. It's so fun. It's so cool. And how long is it going to be until my love for that means that I am paying Nintendo as much as I pay AT&T every year for internet, yep. right? That's I mean, where it's I, going. I actually, I actually think you don't have to worry about Nintendo bumping that price up very much only because they will make sure that that service stays as minimal as possible and never make it into what it could be. <laughs> be- you know, exactly. Yeah. And, and I like those Super NES games, too. Don't get me wrong. The Super Metroid, you know, yeah. uh, Super Mario oh, World, yeah. uh, Link, you know, Link to the Past and things like that are great to have just like whenever you want. And I agree that, I mean, the online, just let me buy it for five bucks. Right, you know? exactly. Like, And that's the thing. That's the thing. Is But I, that's not the model, right? Like the model right model. now is subscription. Right, because it works for them and not for us. I was listening to you all talk and thinking like, I could put any game that I bought as a teenager into the GameCube or the 64 right now. And for the most part, a couple of 64 cartridges are a little bit on their, on their last legs. For the most part, they'll, they'll play, right? And I don't have to wonder if five or ten years from now, like as long as I take care of them, they'll still play. The company isn't going to take them away from me. Right. It's like this, it's is, this like, is the trade-off. Yeah. It's like Sony coming into your house. And taking your discs, your PS2 games, right? And being like, no, you can't play Tony Hawk's Pro Skater anymore. We're taking it from you. But they give you a back rub in the form (laughs) of the remake of it that was recently (laughs) released. Oh, my God. But for only 60 bucks, we'll give you a massage (laughs) um, while taking this away from you. Who will be the first to uh, rewrite, I should say, the lyrics of 16 Tons? Uh, to sold my store soul to the Nintendo store. Whom's among us? The Nintendo will. store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's Nate. Nate's the songwriter. Me. Oh, oh my! Um, oh, we know God. what the credit sequence for this uh, episode's gonna be like. Oh, I can't wait. Oh yes. Oh, oh no. Yes. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> it's gonna take me a couple. Take me a couple extra days to edit this one. I'm gonna be making a song. Um. No, but it is true. I mean, I recently 
changed my internet service because the Northeast, it became legal recently for them to use data caps. It wasn't until this year. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And so Comcast Xfinity introduced a data cap. uh, And I was just like, I probably won't go over this every month, but I don't even want to have to think about it. And between teaching on Zoom every day, like my partner and I, and our older daughter probably downloading illegal music and, you know, all the other streaming and me playing games. Like, I don't want to think about it. And so I I got the unlimited. And now I'm like, should I try one of these cloud service games where not only do you not own it, but you don't even have the illusion of owning it? Oh, right. Yeah. Should I give, you know, uh, what is it called? Google Stadia uh, a shot just to see what it's like? (laughs) I haven't. It's a step maybe too far for me. Man, I, I I would say one thing that I've has been kind of a double edged sword because, like I said, I can't really afford a lot of these games. Right. Um, the other the other thing is part of the reason why the switch turned out to be a good idea is because uh, I don't own a television with, with an HDMI uh, cable. And so the switch is great because it's just the two of us. Right. So you can set it up, you know, on the desk and it's got the little kickstand and you can. Uh, uh, play together. And I mean, the fact that he can make levels that he and I can both play together at the same time is everything I was hoping it would be. It's awesome. It's absolutely, it's collaborative. It's creative. It's great. Um, But I, I kind of hate the way that I've played the super Nintendo games though. Like the way they're presented is is the way that I have time to play them now. But the fact that you can create a save point anytime you want, anywhere you want, and if you make a mistake, you can just rewind and go back and redo it and fix your mistake. That's like, I don't know. On the one hand, they recognize, I think, that that's about the amount of time that I have to give Super Mario 3. Like, that's about, I love it. It's fun. But I, But on the other hand, it takes a lot of the difficulty out of it which was part of the charm, right? At least for I me. feel like I feel like that's a sort of that's a sort of I don't know. It's it seems like it's a leftover from like the ROM days, right, where you could actually right. save right. at They're any being a ROM. position, yeah. right? Um oh, they they've also yeah. been caught red-handed in some cases uh lifting code yeah. from ROM developers, <laughs> which is ironic <laughs> because Nintendo is <laughs> you know, very aggressive, aggressive with the <laughs> legal enforcement of their property laws and they will stamp out anything like another Metroid 2 remake and, and all of that. Oh, oh yeah, uh, that was horrible. And, and, it's, and they're terrible about it. I mean, yeah. it's it's a really vile thing that, that Nintendo like the does. Disney of the and then they, they steal <laughs> yeah. from ROM developers and they sell it back by these subscription services to us. Uh, so, so you're right that it's just like a ROM because it is. You're, <laughs> you just identified the thing that it is. It isn't like it. It is it. I mean, even when they're not lifting it, it's essentially a ROM. <laughs> well, yeah, because they were they were like, wait a minute, people people like people play ROMs better because ROMs 
have these various capabilities, right? That are uh, make it easier, make it more fun to play. And so, yeah, we're, we're going to do that. I think maybe the special topic is like hating on the biggest studios. <laughs> we can think of. Like, does anybody have anything they want to say about Microsoft real quick? Like while we're like, just who, who, who we might've found our special topic on accident. <laughs> Hating on big games. I mean, the so problem with Microsoft right now is hours. that they're throwing their weight around. <laughs> yeah, the, the problem with Microsoft right now is, I mean, on the one hand, Microsoft's doing a ton of amazing things, supporting indie developers, like getting things on Game Pass. They're doing a lot of great things. But the problem with Microsoft is they're doing a lot of great things because they're taking over more and more segments of the industry, you know, and... <laughs> You know, monopolies are never going to be good in the long run. Uh, they're just, they're not. And I mean, Microsoft's interesting because they're also moving away from like trying to make their money off of the sale of consoles and even potentially the sale of individual games, uh, which is an interesting strategy. But yeah, I'm not sure where that's going to go. But I mean, anyway, so that's cer what certainly uh, with as good as Game Pass seems, I, I think it's, a very recognizable kind of typical tech venture capital led uh, loss leading kind of experience. I mean, we, we were just saying, oh, this thing with Nintendo online, they charge 20 bucks for it. How long until I'm paying as much for my, you know, my internet company and, oh, mm. man. And, and then, yes, okay, the joke about it being kept super bare bones. Fair. Uh, Nintendo doesn't offer a lot of, of value to, to hike their price up unless, of course, you're very attached to those SNES games, as we all are. On the other hand, uh, for Microsoft, I, I mean, this is how they're selling their consoles. You just recommended uh, that at a certain price point, hey, you know, why not add uh, a Series S as your second or third console because you get Game Pass on it. Hmm. And as long as enough people do that and sign up, then they can start raising it by a dollar a month until we're all the lobster that's been boiled. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, all they, right? Because like, right now, I think it's a big question mark as to whether or not they're profitable. They may or may not be. I tend to, I tend to believe that idea that they are loss leading, right? That there are taking a loss on it in order to like build up their subscription base, but they might not be right. Who knows? And they're going to keep that a secret till their grave when Microsoft and the earth die at the same time, 300 years from now. Um, <laughs> Short time frame. You know, when game pass will still exist and only be $25 um, USD because us will also still exist, obviously. Uh, but Amazon will effectively run it. It will it be, it'll be the United States of Amazon. Yeah. Years. I mean, that doesn't sound so bad. It basically already is, uh, <laughs> oh, no. but also support Amazon unions. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is like they all they have to do is plug it up like five dollars, and all of a sudden, with their five million subscribers, they have another twenty five million dollars a month, right? And all of a sudden, they've generated another three billion dollars a year in revenue. Well, don't tell uh, them that, Christian. I know. <laughs> like, you know. All of the Microsoft representatives listening to our show, I do always send it to. Uh, <laughs> You know, they're basically their CEO. Bill Gates, occasionally, I blind copy on the. Here you go, Bill Gates. <laughs> he should be on Very the show. easy to get a hold of. Yeah, we should get him on the show. <laughs> yeah, we should. So how about that Xbox guy? 
As long as he doesn't have to talk about Microsoft, he could probably get him. I probably know. could. I probably could. Let's talk about or the pandemic. water to the sub-Saharan Africa. Um, I think that's what he does now, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Welcome, Bill. <laughs> and Melinda. I think they're a pair. You have to get both at the same time. So I have been playing, uh, speaking of a game that's sort of a throwback in a lot of ways, uh, Near Automata, uh, or Near Automata, or Near Automata. I'm not completely sure. There's lots of different pronunciations, I'm sure, that are possible. But Near Automata, as I'm going to completely refer to it from now on, is a brilliant game. Uh, it has only been out for a handful of years, what, three years, maybe four at the most, and I think I've played it through three times. And of course, by playing it through three times, I mean I've played it through 15 times, uh, because each playthrough to get the whole game, you have to play through about five times minimum. Uh, you're not playing the same game each time, you're playing it from a different perspective, or you're playing a part of the game that was related to what you've already done, but you didn't actually see that. So there's like retroactive dramatic irony. Um, it's a great game, uh, especially if you like androids in lingerie. Um, yeah, that's is, an interesting choice, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> no, it's definitely, I mean, so Yoko Taro, uh, the director of it uh, and the director of Nier, uh you know, recently in an interview, and by recently, I mean probably a year or two ago, said that the next project he really wants to work on is a porn. Um, Great. You know, to which I raised the <laughs> wait, question, wait, have you game? not already, perhaps? Like a porn game? No, no. He just wants to direct... Oh, just wants to, just aspirationally yeah. wants to direct porn. Yeah. I mean, this is a man who gives interviews in a mask frequently. Uh, so, you know, he's a bit of a joker, but... Uh, this is a brilliant game. This is a game that is meta, but without being cloyingly meta or pretentiously meta that, you know, has a help system in the game to explain parts of the game to you, but the help system is actually just an NPC uh, in a base, but you can't get to the base till you beat the opening segment of the game, which is a shmup, like a, sh like a shoot 'em up classic style like where you're just controlling a mech warrior and shooting spaceships and it's not the easiest like i find it easy now but only because i've run through it a number of times but i remember the first time i did it it took me like an hour of going through this like over and over to get through it and then there's not a save point for another hour mm -hmm. and there's no manual save you have save points in the game that you have to locate and unlock which also unlocks part of your map it had all these throwbacks to ps3 and ps2 era games i would say uh with only slightly better graphics sometimes to be honest uh but it makes it work and i think that uh claire who writes for our site and maybe edsel and i are going to do a spoiler cast for that before the remake of near replicant long number with a decimal point comes out um and which is i think at the end of april uh and then hopefully do something on that as well so is the remake like really a remake or given the history of near is it going to be different than the original game so the new you're talking about the new old year the, the yeah, one yeah, that's yeah. coming out in april yeah 
So I actually just read about this today or yesterday, um, a little bit of both. Like, actually, it's very hard to pin down, and Yokotaro being Yokotaro won't answer a question directly. He's called it a remaster, but not really, a remake, but not really, a new game, but not really. Uh, what we know is that the graphics are definitely uh, better, that they didn't just up they also introduced some new 3D models. We also know that they simultaneously shrunk some of the map because they felt there was too much empty space in parts, while also adding some new side quests, some of which may be significant uh, in length. They also have maybe added a few other things. But here's the thing. I will not be totally surprised if people start playing this, and I don't have history with this earlier game, but I, I will not be surprised if people start playing it and play through it and then realize there's another playthrough that wasn't in the original or that right. there's actually some huge thing that they added that was completely unexpected that completely changes the game because that's what he does. And the only thing I know about this game, besides that it's a prequel to Nier Automata, uh, effectively at this point, is that... This is a game that you need to play through at least three times, I believe, and that apparently the second or third playthrough completely changes what you knew about the first playthrough. Oh, wow. That's cool. So, And, th- and that's, that's, that's what these games do, right? Is they ask you to replay them in order to challenge what you were doing in your earlier playthroughs and think about the history of video games and the history of what video games ask of us, right? What they ask us to do. So, you know, Nier Automata is a game where you're killing these robots uh, in the name of humanity. Uh, Big spoiler, uh, it turns out human species no longer exists, is in fact extinct, uh, and that you're actually fighting for nothing. And then it becomes like a commentary on playing video games. And so by the end of this game, you're like playing through and constantly being asked, why are you killing things? Why do you keep killing things? <laughs> it's Undertale. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Lingerie. Yeah, it's yeah, Undertale, but with lingerie there. and platinum style combat, which is what Undertale should have had. <laughs> <laughs> which I know is, is a thing that I will be crucified for saying because everybody loves Undertale. But you put platinum style combat in Undertale, I'm just saying, it would be amazing. Undertale 2. I, I Plat- think Toby Fox style. is on the record as, as being a fan. I think uh, Fox and, and Taro have actually met. Um on at least one occasion, partially due to the similarities in their work. We should get them on the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Toby Fox yeah. and Yoko Taro episode. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, y- Yoko Taro, Bill Gates. All the Nier fans yeah. and all the <laughs> Undertale Fox. fans, the all mask the Homestuck fans in one place. The mask isn't going to look very cool on the audio recording, though. So I don't know if that mask porn guy is going to want to know. What kind of a <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I think he'd own up to that. Well, we lost that one. <laughs> yeah. I didn't think you I'm actually mad. just reproduced part of Boogie Nights. Like, what, kind of, <laughs> what kind of mask does he wear? Like, what does the mask look like? What is it? I mean, it's in Nier Automata. So uh, oh. it's, it's just a circle. It's what all the robots have for heads. It's, it's Jim Carrey's, like, face. <laughs> it's Jim Carrey's character from the mask. Yoko Taro is just a mask. Nirotomata <laughs> <laughs> is just full of, you just fight millions of Jim Carrey's, but then at the end you find out that Jim Carrey's are extinct, <laughs> and it's all been Can I nothing. just say how That amazing... game needs to exist. 
You know how amazing a current day mask game could be? Yeah. That would be really great. With like what people can do with consoles now? I'm just saying. <laughs> Was there a mask game back in the day? There must I'm be. sure. There's probably a son of the mask game. Oh, and it's somewhere yes. in some cursed bargain bin in in <laughs> Indianapolis. Uh, if you oh my get gosh. the very bottom of that barrel, there's a son of the mask for the original oh, Xbox. I was just in the Indianapolis Best Buy 2. They actually just reskinned the Batman NES game. It looks oh, like they, they did. did? The mask is no, they did. No, Side-scrolling action video game created it by is. American Studio Black Pearl Software for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System, which is based on the film of the same name. Uh, received moderately positive reviews from critics who were particularly pleased with this faithful recreation of the humor and visual style of the film while criticizing the level design and difficulty. Apparently it was too hard. As they were. I mean, those movie tie-ins uh, from yeah, Batman Returns, which is yeah. based on the Mortal Kombat engine, of all things absurdly difficult game so if they stuck with yeah. that kind of design you need a rewind button i couldn't get past i couldn't in batman returns i couldn't get past the level where you have to like that was basically the opening scene of the movie like i couldn't get past it's brutal like the sword swallower i think the sword swallower killed me and i'm like i'm batman you're a sword swallower <laughs> <laughs> i've never seen batman swallow a sword my NES game that I loved but could never do very well on that I think I rented probably like 10 times from Blockbuster uh, was the Little Nemo in Slumberland NES game. It's hard, but it's also beautiful it's pixel art. So cool. And it has such great game mechanics. I, I should get a ROM for that because that is a game I feel like that is worth playing if you can actually experiment it with it and save uh, because the cool thing is that you could turn into these animals and become these animals. I mean, it was it was really ahead of its time in a lot of ways. I think I might have a ROM of it, actually. I'll look, and we'll talk more about our, our piratical antics on, on air. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but I, mine was, uh, was Kid Icarus. Uh, that game, there was just... A, oh, right. I'd, I'd get to the horizontal... Which was so cool, the change from from the vertical sort of jumping uh, platformer to be like, now we're a totally different kind of platform game. It was like getting two games in one. It was so cool. But I get to the horizontal part and there would just be a couple a couple enemies that would just take me out just every single time. And, but now I guess I can I can just save right, create my own save point on the Switch. Right there you go. That. <laughs> Maybe I'll find out <laughs> what happens afterwards now. I, I do kind of, I, I uh, you know might have made a sound in the background when you were mentioning, oh, the rewind in the save state, I feel like something is lost. I played through Super Earth Defense Force on the Switch Online um, app the other day and realized two things about it. One, I had completely forgotten that I had played the game dozens of times with a friend uh, at, at his house as a kid. And Two, the soundtrack was permanently embedded in my brain. I knew mm. every note of this soundtrack from this classic shmup, but we had never beat it. Uh, not once. I'd never seen the ending of Super Earth Defense Force. And thanks to rewinding the game, I have now, <laughs> in fact, seen the ending of it and played through it. Um, and, and the whole time, I wasn't really thinking about 
playing the game or about how satisfying it was to finally beat this shoot em up or about if I was ruining the purity of my experience or anything like that. Uh, the whole time I was thinking about uh, how great it had been to play through it with this friend and um, how now I was gonna finally be able to see the ending, you know, like 25 years later. Uh, and it was great. It was, it was actually a really kind of beautiful experience brought about by this shmup that I'd completely forgotten about. I mean, if you had asked me even a month ago, hey, you remember Super Earth Defense Force? I'd be like, I don't think, did I play that one? Uh, and as soon as I fired it up, oh yeah, totally fresh. Wow. I mean, this is a, maybe a little bit of a kind of tangent to what you were going on, but like what that made me think of is like how many NES, or for that matter, even Super NES, but especially NES games did we see the ending of um, back when you weren't playing it through a ROM? Like for me, there was like maybe three. Right. Like I made it to the end of Metroid. I made it to the end of Zelda, the original. I made it to the end of Super Mario Brothers 3. That might be it. No, I'm, I also beat uh, Mike Tyson Punch-Out. Oh, nice. Whoa. That's it, though. Nice. There's no way I beat anything else, right? Everything else. And it didn't bother me, right? I, like, I just kept replaying them and trying to get better. But like the idea that I would see the ending of a game just seemed absurd. I couldn't even, I couldn't even beat Batman Return of the Joker. Okay, and that's like such an easy game where you just, which is, and it's a stupid game. It's not Batman either. You're just like run, you're like, you're like really this big Batman. You have a gauntlet that shoots things and you fire at little Joker heads, but they always killed me. (laughs) I feel like learning to be okay with that is the hard thing, right? I, I know games are made differently now and they want you to see the ending. We still know Statistically speaking, most people do not see the ends of games that they buy, right? Like, we get these statistics released from developers where it's like 20% of people beat my game, you know, and that's it. You know, and even like a Bioware game, like, people don't actually play all the way through the Mass Effect games. Most people don't, right? We think they do because there's this huge fandom, but the vast majority of them don't bother finishing the game. And that's like a narrative-driven game. Uh, And, but now we just get to feel bad about it Mm. which is great because feeling bad about things but i wonder how much of that is driven by the need to market a game that's as gigantic as possible i mean that when when you're selling the game you have to be able to say this is going to be the biggest longest most epic experience of your goddamn life and then when you then you actually buy that game and you play it i mean i'm just thinking and we're not I, i i i will do my very best not to let the dark souls talk go on i'm only gonna say i'm only gonna say <laughs> don't do it i'm you only always gonna say, this is always how it starts the meanest thing about that game the very meanest thing is that it keeps track of your playtime. right there right there at the opening right there at the beginning and yeah honestly with that but also like you said with mass effect with I, I even remember, and this is really kind of a throwback, but I remember playing through the Halo single-player campaigns because I got into Halo by the time that everybody else was so good at the multiplayer it was pointless for me to play, right? Because i just die instantly. So I played all the single-players. actually played it co-op with a, with a, a friend. And um, I remember the single-player campaigns got shorter and shorter and shorter. 
in uh, from from Halo to Halo to Halo because I'm only thinking about one, two, and three. I'm not thinking about all that other crap. Um, but now anymore, it is almost kind of like the what they're asking of a player to finish a game is a hundred plus hours of creative and emotional labor in a narrative driven game. And not everybody like, it's like you have to be, you want to be asked for that almost to buy the game, but like, you don't have it. You don't have it. I'm if, if I beat dark souls by Christmas, I'll be like, I just, I don't have that much time to play these really long games. Right. And I wonder how much that's part of it too. And I mean, I, I think that it's interesting because there's a real bifurcation there, right? Like there are a lot of these nice six hour indie games, right? Uh, that exist that by the way, are, you know, always on sale on the switch at one point or another, uh, which is great. Uh, sometimes for like two bucks. Um, and, you know, so there's that bifurcation, but you're right. I mean, you get these games and it produces this horrible, vicious cycle where I think neither the consumer nor the developer wants it, but they both feel like they have to want it. Mm. Uh, where like, you know, Assassin's Creed Valhalla is something like 120 hours to beat the base game, right? Not even to do like some kind of completionist run of the game, but just to like get the full basic main arc of the story. And I love the Assassin's Creed games, right? Like, I, I just like visiting a new historical world. And that game was just overwhelming to me. I felt the same way about Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Assassin's Creed Origins was more manageable. But, like, yeah, they're just, they're huge. And this is why, I mean, to bring in one of the games that, Don, I think you've been playing, uh, this is why I found Control to be so great in a lot of ways is because I think lengthwise it's kind of perfect, like you can go through it in about 12 hours if you want, but you can do side quests that'll add another 10 hours if you want. And you don't feel punished for either doing them or not doing them. Mm-hmm. I, I, I agree completely. Um, I had so much excitement and hype over control when it first released and uh it's kind of like the best video game adaptation of the x-files that i could think of or, or fringe except actually i like it better than either of those shows and i like those it's shows a tighter quite narrative. a bit um but it is it's a tighter narrative um i i like a lot of the characters uh, quite a bit and and they have this live action um video incorporated into the game for some of them that makes them you know very personable and then you really see them get stressed out by the events that precede your character's arrival in the game. And uh, the trouble was that on the base PlayStation 4, where I played it first, it had horrible performance issues. Mm. And I loved the game anyway. I mean, because I've played games from all systems at all times, a little bit of, you know, things dropping down to zero frames per second uh, wasn't going to stop me from having a good time. But they re-released a PS5 version, so I'm replaying Control. And Control with almost no load times, Mm. with a steady frame rate, I was prepared to go back to Control and after a couple years of discourse about it, maybe not be quite as excited about it because you know there there are parts of the game that could be better. There's a little bit of maybe bloat in the middle some of the narrative might not be as good as some of the side quests. You know, it has these things, these things that I could quibble with. 
no, the game is a blast. Hmm. Uh, and, and the pacing, Christian, like you said, is just, it's superlative, um, especially now that I don't have to deal with five minutes of load time between each death. Um, and, and I'm hardly dying at all because I'm so overpowered on my replay of the game. Uh, and in, instead, I just, I'm just blowing through it. Um, and it's such a delight to just, you know, oh, this boss took me two or three times beforehand, and that was like an hour of my life. Uh, and now I'm so overpowered, I melted that boss in 15 seconds. So that's an hour of uh, pacing that just got improved. Mm. Mm. <laughs> right. uh, and it's fantastic you... with it. Yeah, the, that, so for me, I remember playing it on the PS4 as well. And that first boss in the mailroom, I mm. kept dying on it. And, it. and when I replayed it on the Series X, I realized I was dying on it in part because of the frame rate. And I'm not like some kind of like frame rate snob. Like, who thinks that, like, you have to have the 60 frames per second, you know, yeah. otherwise, who cares? You know, I need my Bloodborne at 60 frames per second, you know, otherwise, it's not... Yeah. It's never going to happen. No, it's never going to happen. <laughs> um, but, but this made a difference. Like, I actually, like, it was easier when it turns out you weren't lagging every once in a while to not get killed. Go figure. Uh, but, I mean, it's... Yeah, it's a great game. I'm actually, so I'm working my way through, they released a volume with Future Press uh, called The Art and the Making of Control. And, you know, when I got it, I was a little worried it was going to, I like video game art books, especially if they have a decent amount of commentary. But this actually isn't just a video game art book. It really is the story of the development. And it's about 400 pages. And it, it's filled with art, but it's actually a lot of text. And just reading about the development and what went into it and about their study of architecture and like seeing the PowerPoint slides that all the art team got of brutalism. Like there's a brutalism PowerPoint uh, show that the art director made so that everybody <laughs> had like different like ideas in mind for when they were designing and doing level layout and stuff. And it's, it's amazing. And I think one of the things that's come out recently is we can expect to control two in the next year or two. Uh, that has not been officially announced, but it's very clear that they are doing it and they've just said enough that it's just can't not be happening. Uh, but it's also weird because the studio remedy is, has expanded in a really weird way. And so they're developing like five games now. Uh, they're doing control two with the same team. They're doing a campaign for a game that Microsoft has the North American and European rights to called Crossfire X, but apparently is big in China. Uh, they're doing like two other games exclusive to Epic and maybe Xbox. And like then another game on top of that, which I can get a guess is Alan Wake 2. But yeah, they're apparently going full blown like giant studio. And that makes me both excited and nervous as hell. Wow, so, yeah. I, I had no idea that they uh i guess they got some money for making it an epic exclusive for a bit um when they first released it on pc and uh maybe yeah. that helped them recoup some costs and they just took that money from there uh, i don't think control was a huge success i think it was profitable at this point and it's been on game pass and things like that and ps plus i think they've made money on it but i think they're getting money in advance of these games like 
you know, for, from Epic, from Microsoft. So hope and a dream, hope and a dream. You know, speaking of Microsoft, did you hear that after Control 2, they were going to do Control Alt Delete? Delete. (laughs) 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 That was great. That is definitely going to have to be the third game. (laughs) Except I'm pretty sure Superhot's already done that, right? Oh, that's (laughs) right. That's right. A roguelike Uh, version of Superhot, I think, is Control Delete. It's Mind Control Alt Delete. Mind Control Delete. It's a good name. Uh, yeah. But that means that instead of Control 2, they should have it be Control Alt and then Control right. Alt Delete can be. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, these are terrible jokes. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I think it's time for non game recommendations. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah, please. And not just as a way of cutting off these jokes before they get any worse. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Who wants to start? I'll Anybody start because mine's weird. Mine's really weird. I oh, just want to. <laughs> I just want to say that this is probably a really good time for you to get into analog synthesis, and it Who is. is this you. It's a good time for you to do that, and it's been I think four years since it was released, and the Korg Minilog is still awesome, and all the instruments that Korg makes synth wise are cool and fun and you should buy them and play with them and they're great except they did an updated version of the minilog eh, a new synthesizer called the minilog xd which is great because it's capital letters so it looks like the emoji where you're sort of squinting and smiling at the same time um and it has analog synthesis with sort of digital effects built in that you can lay over it, which is cool because you can download patches from the internet and stuff. But what it doesn't have is an audio input, which the original Minilog does, which means I can run my guitar through the oscillators in my synthesizer and I can basically use the synth as a big pedal board all the different noises the synth can do i can apply those sounds through my guitar if i just give it a little bit of amplification to get that noise get a little power through the through the oscillators it's super cool and super fun and um everyone should own one if you already own all this other expensive shit and joe biden just sent you a bunch of money uh spend it on instruments it's 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 so fun. You will never what if you get have tired. No musical talent. Even if you don't see, that's the great thing because anyone you don't need and, it. This is this is like this this is this is why people hated eighties music. Kind of a stereotype, but like anyone could turn knobs, and that's kind of fun. Like you don't have to like any. It's not hard to find middle C on a keyboard. Just push the white ones. Don't worry about the other keys. Just push the white ones and turn the knobs and something cool will happen. I promise it will be a whole new world for you. That's my thing. It was a weird one this week because I've I've kind of um, been like drowning in work. So I haven't had time for like other fun books and movies and shows and stuff. We depend on weird from you. Yeah. Nate, so. <laughs> I You've know. Yeah. And I didn't have like any weird enough games to talk about. So I was super normie in my games. So I give you a weird, a weird wreck, which everybody in the synth community will already know really well. But it's, it's a super, super sweet instrument. Can't plug it enough. 
Roger, are you, is this the new Ishiguro that you're reading? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Clara and the Sun, it came out, I guess, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I haven't actually read all, all of Ishiguro. I've read um, the last few. I've read Never Let Me Go and, like, Remains of the Day, like the big ones. Um, but, like, so this came out... Um, I heard it was about sad robots, and that's kind of my thing, is, like, sad robots. I really like sad robot stories. So, and it's... You should definitely play Nier Automata. I know, I have... It's all I, just sad, like, sexy robots. It's sad. Um, but, like, this one is all about this, um, this robot who is in a store window and wants to be bought. Like, there's, like, weird, like echoes for me of like AI that old Steven Spielberg movie that was kind of with Stanley Kubrick um, it had like Jude Law as a male prostitute that was so weird yeah that was really weird that whole movie was, it was very weird. formative for me um but like um so yeah like it's it has that kind of weird like manners that happens in AI, right? Like, like AI on some level is like about how he fits into the family and like, um, you know, is he a good companion to her daughter? Right. And so like, it's a very similar setup, um, with that, with the main character, Clara, um, except she might as a robot be religious. She has like some kind of weird religion with the son that she follows. Um, and, um, you know, like, like a lot of Ishiguro, like the characters are really well uh, uh, developed, and there's a lot of really interesting things about class going on in in the story. And there's a huge reversal midway through that. I mean, one of the things that Ishiguro does really well is like give us a world where there's a and and like the main character is a way that we don't like the main character doesn't really know what's going on in the world for whatever reason. And so we sort of have that half knowledge until somewhere in the middle where something happens and all of our expectations are blown open. And that happens in this novel too at some point. I'm not going to spoil and say what it is, but um, it's brilliant. Um, it has a lot of really deep questions about death and life and what it means to be human and class and what it means to be, you know, a servant or, um, and, and I think you know, the future and all of this stuff. Um, I highly recommend it. I think it's a, a great novel. Don, what is the Dying Earth series by Jack Vance? It sounds vaguely familiar, but I can't remember why. This, this is some old nerd stuff. Um, <laughs> pr- certainly would be prior to my time, except for some formative experiences playing tabletop in the back room of a game shop as a kid. Jack Vance um, is a celebrated science fiction fantasy author, uh, good friends with Frank Herbert of Doom fame. Um, And he wrote all kinds of of different stories, but he's probably most famous for, uh, well, first a collection of serialized stories called The Dying Earth. Um, And that eventually turned into a series of four books. And the first book, fantastic. Uh, You're in this setting. It's so far flung into the Earth's future that the sun is going out. 
But instead of it being a technological marvel, it's more of a fantasy setting. There's magic and wizards and magicians and demons and gods and crumbling cities. And sometimes the crumbling cities are technological marvels that might or might not be the foundations for magic. And every character has possessed of all kinds of flaws, um, it, often to their own extreme detriment. Um, and, it, and it's just this really wonderful short story collection in that serialized style, the kind of thing that would have been in, you know, four pages at a time in an issue of Analog or something, um, Once Upon a Time. And it's, it's great. And I remember hearing about it. There's even a tabletop RPG based on Vance's work of the same name um, that I played at some point in the 90s. And uh, I saw there was a collection of that original volume and then three other books based in the same setting. Reread the Dying Earth, the first volume, still great. Uh, some suspect and misogynistic attitudes in it um, for Mr. Vance, uh, which, you know, maybe you could excuse as being from the time, but certainly are inexcusable now. Um, but in general, the setting and the variety of the characters, the way that he doesn't stick with a single character or point of view, but instead as a serialized thing, you sort of get overlapping characters. One might pop up in another's story in an interesting way. Very cool stuff. And then the other books get based around single protagonists, um, particularly this one called Cudgel the Clever, which gets two whole novels. And he is just vile. This isn't a flawed character. He's terrible um, in, in every respect. And, and he deserves everything that's coming to him. Uh, and in general, Vance makes sure he gets his comeuppance, but there is no realization of getting comeuppance on the part of Cudgel. He just sort of scrambles out by the skin of his teeth from the end of the situation, moves into the next absurd situation, tries to con someone and, and so on and so forth. And he's just an irredeemably terrible protagonist, um, which I think to Vance, I don't think he quite saw Cudgel as being irredeemably terrible. I think he saw him as an interesting vehicle to explore more of this setting. And it, I, I can't quite decide, I'm almost through the fourth volume, which happily isn't based around Cudgel the Clever. Um, but I, I don't know if, that character has soured me on this series of books and even the first one that I really, really enjoyed um, and remembered fondly or not. Uh, but yeah, the, the second two books in the series, just completely avoid them. You will lose nothing by never reading a story <laughs> about Cudgel the Clever. But if you want to pick up, uh, especially a very cheap used copy of just the first Dying Earth book, knock yourself out. It's great. I like that. I like that recommendation. Read the first one. Don't bother with the rest. Saves a lot of time. The premise reminds me kind of of, uh, did you ever read the book of the new sun by Gene Wolfe? No, I haven't. That th There's a similar kind of, it's this planet, but the sun's dying and it's more magical than sort of techno dystopian. You might like it. He also helped invent Pringles. So that's, yeah, he was a Pringles author. <laughs> they're good, good books <laughs> hey. you can't pop just one 
Oh. You can't pop just one. Look at the Do pop just one. Just the first on your earth book. Just the first. Just the first. Jack Are Vance them- read a lot of other books and I've enjoyed them. So you can reach into his, you know, 50. He wrote like dime store paperbacks and serialized stories. So just pick one up, you know. It's not a big investment. It's 150 pages, but yeah. ugh, the cudgel books. I used to collect uh, those dime store sci-fi paperbacks um, from used bookstores, especially Soviet uh, ones, you know, translations into English, uh, just mostly for their garish covers. I've got some great uh, Samuel Delaney uh, early novels. Um, Samuel Delaney, you know, for folks who may not know, uh, being a you know queer black uh, sci-fi author who, in his most recent work, has written largely sort of pornographic sci-fi. Um, but uh, I mean, like, just flat out, like you know, 15 pages of the most uh, curious sort of fetish sex. Uh, he should work with the the near Automata guy, right? Like, they could totally work together. Uh, but his early paperbacks were great because they're just like basically like standard sci-fi babe wearing gold bikini on a planet uh and just like knowing the author retroactively and knowing some about his like early years not really i mean basically you know passing as straight being married to a woman but spending a lot of time uh you know cruising Times square uh these paperbacks just have a special place uh so i you know my recommendation would have been the art and making of control but since i you know mentioned that already i'll just do a quick really quick plug for the show orphan black which i still don't think has deserved you know respect a great show watching it deserves yeah it's an amazing show tatiana maslana i stand in awe of her acting every time i watch that show and her playing of you know eight different characters or something especially uh you know uh sestra or uh, helena and uh Soccer mom, uh, Allison. Uh, It's just a wonderful show about clones, biotech, corporate intrigue, uh, parenting, uh, vague sci-fi geography. Are they in Toronto? Are they in Vancouver? Are they in the U.S.? (laughs) They won't tell you. Um, The geography is very vague. It drives me crazy. But it is an amazing show. Uh, And I don't think enough people have watched it. Kind of like uh, Fringe, for example. Uh, arguably still J.J. Abrams' best work. Uh, there's nothing arguable about it. It totally is. All right. It has John Noble in it, which automatically puts it just way, way up there. He is fantastic. And, I really don't like how much we're agreeing on this episode. And when they do the alternate reality... Spoilers, sorry. When they, go- when they do that, when they do the alternate reality where Spock is, like... They have the alternate reality DC covers, and that is awesome. They actually had those had those made for the show. So, like, one is, like, instead of, like, Superman and Supergirl on the cover of, of Crisis on Infinite Earths where Supergirl dies, it's, um, I think it's Batman and Batgirl or something like that, right? Like, it's, so they, like, switch the covers because it's, like, this is an alternate world, so the, the comics would even be the alternate. It was pretty awesome. I just remember that when my partner and I first watched that show, uh, we saw, uh, you know, Pacey from Dawson's Creek say to the main character, uh, 
you know, listen, sweetheart. And we couldn't stop saying, listen, sweetheart, for like the next <laughs> year. And on that note, we shall call it a night before Nate dies a horrible electricity I forgot death. to plug it in. I'm so sorry. I forgot to plug it in. This is the right time. We've we've meandered off into strange land, so Good night, sweet prince. <laughs> Good night. Sixteen tons. What do you get? Another year older and deeper in debt. Super Mario, don't call me. Cause I can't go. I sold my soul to the Nintendo store.